Welcome to the Gut Podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK. And in my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month I'm discussing the Editor's Choice Manuscript from the May 2015 issue, entitled Helicobacter pylori targets cancer-associated apical junctional constituents in gastric epithelial cells. This is presented by Dr. Lydia Robleski and colleagues, and I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Robleski here today. She is based in the Department of Gastroenterology in the Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, Tennessee, in the USA, and is part of Dr. Richard Peake Jr.'s team there. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, in the introduction to your paper, you outlined several mechanisms by which Helicobacter pylori exerts pressure on the host epithelial barrier to promote the development of gastric malignancy. So to start, can you briefly outline this for us? Okay. Disruption of the epithelial barrier is associated with a variety of human diseases and cancers, including cancers of the GI tract. What's interesting is H. pylori are commonly found adhering to gastric epithelial cells in close proximity to the apical junctional complex. And H. pylori has developed numerous strategies to breach the gastric epithelial barrier by altering the structure and function of cell junctions. The apical junctional complex is composed of tight junctions found at the most apical region of cells and adherence junctions which are located immediately below. Under normal conditions, beta-catenin is complexed at the membrane in the adherence junction or is sequestered in the cytosol by a multiprotein inhibitory complex that constitutively targets beta-catenin for proteasomal degradation. When H. pylori attaches to gastric epithelial cells, it can inject the oncoprotein CAG-A into host cells, which can be recruited to e-cadherin in the adherence junction. Binding of CAG-A to e-cadherin induces the release of beta-catenin from the apical junctional complex, causing accumulation in the cytosol. Also, in a CAG-A independent manner, H. pylori phosphorylates and inhibits GSK3-beta, which prevents proteasomal degradation of beta-catenin, and beta-catenin accumulates in the cytosol. Regardless of the pathway, increased beta-catenin in the cytosol subsequently translocates to the nucleus where it forms heterodimers with LEF-TCF transcription factors and promotes mitogenic signaling. H. pylori can also disrupt tight junctions and the tight junction is composed of JAMA, BO1, occludin and the claudins, which are a family of 24 proteins. H. pylori has been found to recruit the tight junction proteins, ZO1 and JAMA, to the site of bacterial attachment. It has also been reported to disrupt the Cludin expression and can induce alterations in the expression of Cludin. So next, let's consider the conventional methodologies employed by previous studies to investigate the pathogenesis of Helicobacter pylori-driven gastric cancer and some of the weaknesses of these techniques. So can you tell us more about this? Determination of host cell responses to H. pylori and investigating signaling pathways is most often performed in 2D culture systems, where H. pylori is co-cultured with epithelial cells. These epithelial cells are usually cell lines which have been passed multiple times. Um, They may contain mutations and are often derived from cancer specimens. 
system has other limitations, including in the study of proliferation. In vivo, H. pylori induces proliferation. However, in vitro, H. pylori causes growth arrest and apoptosis. In vivo models of H. pylori infection are also used, and these are usually mice or gerbils. However, these models can be expensive, specialist equipment may be needed, and they can also be time-consuming to generate if specific genetic mutations are required. Other ex vivo models include isolated gastric glands. However, this model also has some limitations including a short lifespan of around seven days compared with gastroids that can survive for up to nine months. Also, H. pylori does not induce proliferation in the isolated gastric gland model, and this is different to the increase in proliferation that develops within H. pylori-infected gastric mucosa and gastroids. So from this platform, you developed a novel 3D gastroid culture system that you micro-inject Helicobacter pylori, can you describe the technical aspects of this and how you ensured the system reflects in vivo biology? First, we isolated the mouse stomach and ligated at both the esophagus and the duodenum. We then removed approximately half of the non-secretory epithelium and used forceps to carefully invert the mouse stomach to form an inside-out bag. So the gastric glands are now on the outside. We then ligated the open end and inflated the stomach with PBS to form an inside-out balloon. Inverted stomachs were incubated at 4 degrees C in EDTA for two and a half hours with gentle rocking. And the EDTA was then replaced with a buffer comprised of D-sorbitol and sucrose, and the stomachs were gently shaken to remove glands. Release glands were plated in matrigel containing growth factors, and the glands were overlaid with media and cultured at 37 degrees C. For micro-injection with H. pylori, we placed the gastroids on a dissecting microscope and used a micro-injector in combination with a micro-manipulator to inject H. pylori at a multiplicity of infection of approximately 100 to 1. We found that isolated gastric glands form a sphere of cells surrounding a central lumen and we identified differentiated cell types that are found in the stomach, including mucus cells, parietal cells, G cells, B cells, and ECL cells. To answer the second part of your question, uh, to determine if gastroids respond to H. pylori in a manner that reflects what we have seen in vivo, one of the things we investigated was the localization of the tight junction protein occluding. The previously shown in vivo that infection of inscast mice with H. pylori results in mislocalization and decreased expression of occluding. And in our gastroid model, we found a similar phenotype. We found that occluding is localized to the cell-cell junctions in uninfected gastroids. However, when gastroids were infected with H. pylori, we saw decreased expression of occluding at cell-cell junctions suggesting that we were able to reproduce our in vivo findings in our gastroid model. In addition, infection of gastroids with H. pylori also increased proliferation in a CAGA-dependent manner, and this is also a response that is identical to what is seen in vivo. So what advantages does this new gastroid culture method offer over and above the conventional protocols? 
Gastroids bridge the gap between in vitro and in vivo models by providing a culture system that can be generated from non-transformed gastric epithelium. They are polarized and contain the major cell types found within gastric glands. Knockout gastroids can also be generated through shRNA genetic manipulation, and this would allow host responses to be investigated in response to very specific genetic alterations. In our study, we have used gastroids to model H. pylori interactions with the gastric epithelium, but this system could also be adapted to study other host microbial interactions. So moving on to your results, you showed that Helicobacter pylori alters beta-catenin with influence on epithelial cell behavior. Can you tell us what you found in the biological significance? Beta-catenin is very important in carcinogenic responses. It's mutated in 50% of gastric cancers, and the frequency of beta-catenin accumulating in the nucleus is increased within gastric adenomas and areas of dysplasia. In our study, we found that infection with H. pylori altered the distribution of beta-catenin and caused accumulation in the cytosol. We also looked at the role of beta-catenin in H. pylori-induced proliferation, and we found that when we pretreated gastroids with an inhibitor of beta-catenin called cardionogin-1, H. pylori-induced proliferation was significantly decreased in cardionogin-1-treated H. pylori-infected gastroids indicating that H. pylori-induced proliferation in this model system is regulated by beta-catenin. Since the expression and localization of beta-catenin is altered within H. pylori infection, and beta-catenin regulates the transcription of genes that have been implicated in tumor initiation, it's likely that beta-catenin is a central component in regulation of epithelial responses to H. pylori that may directly promote disease progression. So your focus moved to Claudin-7. Tell us about this protein, its role in gastric carcinogenesis, and what you found in the helicobacter pylori-infected gastroid model. Claudin-7 is a member of a family of 24 transmembrane proteins, which are important constituents of tight junctions, and disruption of tight junction complexes is associated with a variety of human diseases, including cancers of the GI tract. Alterations in the expression of Claudin-7 have been implicated in several types of human cancers. In our uninfected gastroid model, we found that Claudin-7 was localized to areas of cell-cell contact. However, following infection with H. pylori, we saw that Claudin-7 was redistributed with focal accumulation in the cytosol. Was there a a link between the dysregulated beta-catenin and Claudin-7, and were there any other proteins involved in this process? We found that using siRNA to target beta-catenin prevented H. pylori-induced alterations in Claudin-7, suggesting that beta-catenin is a key mediator of Claudin-7 suppression within the context of H. pylori infection. We also found that activation of the transcription factor SNAIL by H. pylori was important in regulating Claudin-7, a knockdown of snail using siRNA also prevented H. pylori-induced alterations in Claudin-7. So you then assessed the expression of these key proteins in human gastric tissue. Tell us what you found there. 
Similar to what we saw in our gastroid model, we found that expression of claudin-7 was decreased in gastric epithelial cells harvested from H. pylori-infected persons when compared to epithelial cells obtained from individuals who were not infected with H. pylori. We also looked at snail expression in human gastric biopsies, and again, concordant with our findings in gastroids, we found that snail expression was increased in the gastric epithelium of people infected with H. pylori compared with uninfected individuals. So where do these results fit into current data on the pathogenesis of Helicobacter pylori-associated gastric cancer? We have reported for the first time that H. pylori can dysregulate claudin-7 expression, and the signaling mechanism was found based on using gastroids as a model system. This is important because it demonstrates that gastroids can be used as a discovery tool and can therefore be used as more than just a model to confirm results previously found in vivo. So finally, what is the potential impact of these results on clinical practice? This opens up the possibility of using gastroids, not just from mice, but also from humans, both with and without H. pylori infection. The use of biologically relevant model systems, such as gastroids, may help define novel pathways through which H. pylori lowers the threshold for disease, leading to the identification of new therapeutic targets for antimicrobial therapies. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Olivia Robleski for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you.